And now, Turnbuckles, Trunks, and Titles presents to you Nicholas London and Q-Ball Carmichael. Triple T Radio, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd be going stir-crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I'm telling you, we talked about it a little bit this week uh, uh, in between shows, how fast Tuesday night comes around. It's almost like Tuesday night sneaks up on you. And, and it's, you know, I imagine it's the same way everywhere, but down here, you know, it's, it's college football Saturday, it's pro football Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night. Um, I do a lot of fan duel, you know, minor stuff gambling, eight, nine bucks in a pool, that type of thing. I play fantasy in a league, um, which I'm leading, by the way. Hopefully I'll, I'll win that. I know my buddy Ryan Bird and his brother Larry Bird are listening to the show. So uh, hopefully I win that league. <laughs> They're in it. The thousand bucks for first place, so that'd be nice to win. And, um, you know, it just seems like like Monday comes and you're doing, you know, you know the work I do and I know the work you do and we get busy. And Tuesday comes and it's like you finally breathe and it's like, wow, it's Tuesday night. We get to do the show. And, you know, how great is it to, to get on the radio and do a show with your pal? I forgot to tell you this last week. I was looking through my memories on Facebook and I saw seven years ago today – you guys announced that I was going to be on Rope to Rope, and I don't think it was the first time. So, I mean, our our friendship goes back a long way already. And, uh, gosh, man, it's like seven years ago I was, I was on the show. I think seven and a half for the first time, maybe eight. So, Well, it's funny because you're right. Like, number one, our friendship does go back a long time, probably at least eight years ago. I mean, Rope to Rope was around a long time, ten years to be exact. And, uh, you know, even tonight's guest, Peter Smith, a.k.a. Brody Steele in the wrestling world, the man has traveled the world over. And uh, even him, you know, I go back that long with him. I mean, when I broke into the wrestling business, I met him down the road. He smartened me up on, you know, the ways that you act in the locker room, the things you do, the things you don't do. And, you know, him and and Cowboy Hughes, I mean, these guys are – are unbelievable, and uh, I can't wait for you to chat with him on this show for the fans because he has come from a very similar path. You both know the business. You're both old school, and, well, that's my favorite thing is old school. You know, the way they're doing things today are a little tricky, and some people would say they're not the best, and neither one of you is a short of words when it comes to the way the business is today versus yesterday. Well, that's one of the great things that we're going to get along about, too, is I know, you know. And, and it's funny because, like, you know, I wrestled George Animal Steel, and I always used to get on young kids who wanted to use the last name Steel. And I said, if you're going to use the last name Steel, you can't look at anything like George Steel. 
I told this one kid, Chris Steel, one time, he's about six one. Like, you need to be about six five or six six and be about three hundred pounds. And you can use the last name Steel. And it's funny because you if you maybe gosh, maybe ten years, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago, I, I saw a picture of Brody Steel for the first time and uh I think it was right after he did or just quit doing that Kingman thing. And I saw him, I go, now there's the guy that can use the last name Steel. <laughs> <laughs> he was exactly as I described to this kid Chris Steele many years ago. I'm like, don't use that last name. Don't you? Because you, you, people are gonna automatically think George Steele most of the time. And I go, so you got to be the parallel opposite. You can't be five eleven and two hundred ninety pounds. And you know, he wasn't that way when he started, but the end of his career he was. He was a good friend of mine. But I said, you got to be like six five, six six, and like 300 pounds cut out of stone. I said, then you can use that name. And it's so funny because it probably wasn't four or five years later I saw Brody Steele for the first time. And I, I thought to myself, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, and, and you're right. You know, there, there's certain things um, in, in the business that if you're going to use a, a particular name and you're, you're going to try to make a run at it, and you want to make sure you do the name good. I mean, we've seen guys that have come up, some that have done the name. It's no different than than a wrestler today using a big-time move that someone made millions, hence um, um, Kevin Owens, you know? And, and Right. You, you, do you agree, though? Like, if you're going to use a move or, or name, live up to it at least. You you, ha- you have to do one of two things. It's it's just like if you watch uh, The Voice or American Idol. If somebody goes on and they try to sing the exact version of somebody's song, they usually get compared to them, and they're not good enough. Like I've seen a lot of people do a Whitney Houston song, or they'll do do a famous rock song from like Journey, and the one or two people to pull it off are great, but they don't look like them. Number one, uh, but the best people that did do it and do it well kind of reinvent it and make it their own. And that's kind of like, like when I look at a guy like Brody, I say, no, here's a guy that could have taken any name, but this steel fit this guy. <laughs> yeah, it does, you know. So I think, you know, unless he wanted to change his last name to Brickhouse or something like that, I think steel probably, you know, a perfect thing for him. But see, he, he took what the general impression for years when you said steel, people thought George Animal Steel. So – if you could be the perfect imitation of his son, that would be one thing. But you couldn't just be a guy doing that gimmick. But you can use that name. I mean, there are no names. I mean, really. I mean, you know, everybody's got a recycled name with somebody's once in a while. And, uh, you know, but, but see, that with him, if you ask me, that fits him. That's a redefinition of the last name Steel, which I think is important. It's like redoing a famous song, making it yours, and it comes out even better than the first time. So I think he did it right when he did it. Um, just my opinion, you know. Man, first time I met that guy, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I looked up at this guy. I was scared for my life because I knew that the guy could literally probably just snap his fingers and break my neck. I was terrified. And I am if I huge. If I said he was a gentle giant, he'd probably kill me. So I'm just going to say that he, he's a real ass. You know, that might save me. <laughs> not, that may save me. 
Um, you know, he was actually just over in Germany. He just did a tour over in Germany. That guy goes overseas, man, more times than anyone I know. But you know, well, that's where the money is. Yeah, he's so big. He he's just he's got it all. But do you want me to get him on the phone? What do you want to do? You're you're the host. Yeah, no, let's get let's get him in here, man. Absolutely. Okay, we're gonna we're, we're phoning them in. Uh, we're just gonna wait a sec because I know he'll answer, and I'm looking forward to having him on the show. So we're yeah, just gonna we're gonna bring him on over here. I know he's available. I know he's waiting. So uh, let's uh, let's welcome him to the show. Peter, are you with us? Yes. How you doing, sir? I couldn't be better. Well, that's not 100 percent true. I'm, I'm walking around on one leg, but. Uh, I'm still uh, quite content and happy. Thank you. <laughs> Cue ball, Carmichael. We've got Peter Smith on the phone with us. Take her hey, over, man. How you doing, how you doing brother? Excellent. Excellent. Thank Good. you. Nice to yeah, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. See, what do you prefer to go by? Your your Brody or what? Uh, I don't care. Doesn't matter yeah, to me. I'm like, I'm like you. It's Chris Cue ball. Whatever. I don't care. Doesn't matter to yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, what's it's up, nice guys? To, well, it's nice to have you on the show, man. I actually know who you are, and okay. uh, I was I was telling a little story to Nick that about I uh, I trained at I had a wrestling school for years and picked out a couple of good guys like Joey Mercury and, and Christian York, but I moved in 2002 to New Jersey, and uh-huh. uh, King Kong Bundy was a good buddy of mine, and he asked me if I would take over as a trainer as Devastation Wrestling Federation, which he had at the time, and I did. And I, there was this kid that wrestled there. He was about six foot one. He wasn't in bad shape. He was maybe 210. And he was using the name Chris Steele. And I told him, I said, look, dude, you got to change your name. He's like, why? I said, because people think of one thing when they think steel, Georgia Animal Steel. So yeah. you, you, I said, you either have to do one of two things, look and work like him or – be about six five or six six, three hundred pounds, and cut out of stone. And then yeah. it was probably it was probably two thousand. I think I'm gonna think it was around maybe two thousand four was the first time that I actually saw you saw saw who you were um, late to the party like always. And uh, yeah. I said I said now now there's a guy that can get a get with the name Steel because I had told the kid this. I said you just you need to change your name. It's just, it's not gonna work for you. You got great hair. But you're 210 pounds, so right. You know, I think you, you picked a great name, and I think I was saying today I was going to call Tracy Smothers because I think. Hello. I don't know why his phone does that, but his phone sucks. <laughs> his phone. I thought it was my phone. He, he no, he's so in the zone right now, and it's happened to him last week too when we were talking. Um. Well, that's okay, because I'm calling him back into the show, because that's what I do, and that's what makes me <laughs> happy. And I was just saying to him about it, I said, you know, I said, if I, if I said if I said Brody Steele was a nice guy, I said, when I first met him, I thought he could break my neck in, in seconds. In the snap of a finger, I remember looking up at you thinking, this cat is a scary dude. So, I mean, I've been around you. I've gotten to know you. I think the world of you, Pete. You were just over in Germany. I was following that. How was it? Oh, it was excellent. Yeah, it was uh, It was one of the highlights of my career. I'd done that tournament uh, 15 years ago and last year. 
So I was, uh, I was really happy to be part of it again, the 55th anniversary. I mean, it's not the 60-day event it was back in the 80s and 90s, but uh, in a four-day tournament, uh, drawing good crowds in this day and age in this environment is uh, for live entertainment is fabulous. Hey, I just I just popped back in, man. Is that for the cop? Hello. Is that, hello. <laughs> I just I just popped back in here, man. I don't know what happened. Technology, right? <laughs> Supposedly. They could send a man to the moon, but Nick and I have proved that that never happened. But it's a miracle you know, that two wrestlers can even communicate on a phone. To be honest with you, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, look at some of the text messages we send to look down and go, "What the hell was I trying to spell in the first place?" I don't even know. I was stuck on the side of the road on uh, on the M5 in England two weeks ago. There was five of us in the van with a flat tire. Do you think one of us could change a goddamn tire? We had to call AAA to come change the tire for us. Five grown men. <laughs> hey, I, totally, I totally get it, man. I really do. Oh my We're not God. the most practical people in the world. Yeah, it's a true story. We are definitely not that. No. <laughs> it's like my wife has learned not to ask me to do things around the house, kids. Oh, good you God, know, no. I'm not sure if I screw them up intentionally so she won't ask again or if I'm just really bad at it. Well, don't don't give our secret away, but th- that's uh, that's what I do. You know, if, if I'm asked to clean something, I'll just I'll make sure I miss a spot so so you eventually don't get asked anymore. <laughs> you, you know, I'll tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. When I used to swing through Jersey, I would stop at my sister's house. And, you know, when you shave when you shave yourself once, you got to shave yourself forever, right? We know how that is. With yeah. So I shave my back, and my sister isn't there to shave my back. So I asked my bro-in-law. I'm like, I was the best man at his wedding to my sister on the beach in Maui 30 years ago. You can shave my back one time, dude. It's not going to kill you, right? So he gets it done, and I go to the locker room that night. One guy goes, Jesus, man, wear a T-shirt. I go, what do you mean? He goes, your back looks terrible. There's patches of hair and patches of hair here and there and everything. I'm like, oh, crap. So I had my razor. I got one of the other guys to shave my back. And about four or five years later, we're at we're having some beers, watching a football game or something. And I said, "Remember that time you shaved my back, Jim? You did a terrible job." He goes, "Did you ever ask me to do it again?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> like, He's ahead of his time. Oh, you idiot! You did it on purpose. <laughs> I'm like, that's something we do. Yeah. That's like a so, prank on the boys. I, I tell you a funny story. I don't know if you ever heard of a wise guy, Jimmy Cicero. He's a He's a pretty good journeyman to work down here in the States forever, trained by Ivan Koloff. Him and I were traveling one time down to Georgia to work for uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling back in the day. And I picked him up. I'd moved to Jersey. I picked him up in Virginia. And we get to the first rest area in North Carolina and realize neither one of us had shaved our backs. And we had a little extra time. So we're out there at the beginning of the rest area in the shade. And we're shaving. There's these two guys, six foot two, six three, bald, all jacked up. And we're shaving each other's backs. And we started noticing cars would pull in and look at us and speed right out and go out the other side of the rest area. The <laughs> and that, that, that was probably before the days of cell phones where you could have could have got a, a viral YouTube clip out of this. It's, it's, it's true. It was, unfortunately. So, you know, but I was just, we, we run this all the time about, we didn't realize we were freaking everybody out because, you know, what becomes normal for us is completely abnormal to, to oh, totally. other people outside of our business. So, you know, it's like when you go to a Christmas party, you start talking in carny, and people are like, what? And you're like, yeah. hey, man, 
I'm going to tell you something, but kayfabe this. And they're like, what the hell is kayfabe? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Why did that guy say gimmick ten times tonight? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Hand me that gimmick over there. What are you talking about gimmick? I'm like, oh, boy. Well, you can, I, 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 can, I have a hard time even relating to, to people outside of the business. You know, I, 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 until about a year and a half ago, I had worked for I – was, I had quit full-time wrestling, and I was, uh, I was working as a, as a youth counselor. And I couldn't have normal relationships or conversations with the with my coworkers. It was it was the weirdest thing. So I'm glad to be back to full time wrestling, where at least uh, I can relate to everybody. Brother, it's, uh, it it, nobody understands, nobody believes. You know, when when they ask you, you know, how many times did you did you wrestle a year in your prime, and they're expecting you to say seven, but it's actually three hundred and fifty. <laughs> they they can't yeah, even get their head around it. Like, like you no. know, it's, you know, you, uh, how many countries you've been to? They they don't understand. They 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 have no grasp of it. And and then when you when they find out that you've been to all these places but you haven't seen anything because you all you see is really the airport, the arena, the hotel. That's it. It's like all I love that you said that. That were nice that I've seen. I've never had a chance to see them. You know how it is. You get in there, you 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 go, you wrestle, you do your deal, you get some shower, you go out, you party, whatever, get some food, whatever, yeah. you get up, and it's on to the next town. It just yeah. it never stops. Try you to know, squeeze the gym in somewhere. Well, it's too man. You definitely get the gym in there, but you know it's. I well, love you know you 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 say that, Nick. But uh, just on a quick sidebar, uh, I was uh, this 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 summer. I wrestled in July and August about probably I don't know eighty matches. I guess uh, I was I was in England. We were doing ten ten shows a week, and I never went to the gym once. But I I mean even we even had a day off a week, so because we'd wrestle three times every Sunday. And then, uh, and then a couple more doubles, and then we had a day off. And uh, I, I just said, "Fuck it!" For the first time in my life, I'm going to take a complete break from the gym. And yeah, I, I lost some size and all that, but I'm 52 years old. I need to when when I have when I have a chance to rest, I, I got to use it for rest now. I can't I can't run on fumes anymore with a hangover like I used to be able to. Well, I got you by a few. I got you by a few years, and that's a fact, man. You can't, yeah. you can't. And you know we're 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 stupid because when we get in between the ropes, we're still going to do what we did in our thirties. Only thing well, at least try. We try, right? We try. Well, I only had that's why I'm that's energy. why I'm sitting here with one leg right now because uh, I've uh, <laughs> torn everything. I had to, I had a total ten moves, and once there was this guy that used to call people and he'd say, um, "I want to do he the ten best moves of." And he did this little segment on it and stuff. And he got a hold of me on the internet, and I called him, and he goes, I want to get your best ten moves. I said, brother, I'm a heel. I, I only got ten. And he goes, yeah. you only have ten? He goes, but you're trained by Luke Says. I said, yeah, but I don't use those as a heel, and I've been a heel 90% of my career. And the guy goes, I go, he goes, well, ten's not very many. I said, wait a minute. They're like area codes and phone numbers. You can switch those ten numbers around and get a in different combinations, brother. Absolutely, like, in different variations. But, it's like uh, Kevin Nash said one time: Nolan Ryan had two pitches. You that, know, this, boy, that is a good point right there. Most most good, like if you're into the, the new country or you're into like older southern rock, most of those songs have three chords. I mean, they're not 
You know what I mean? They're not shredding a guitar like Ozzy. Right. Born guitarist, you know. So yeah. I mean, but, but simple's better. For I mean, you know, you know it is. We're old school. Listen, dude. The the key to the game it tells how good you are is how you can get the most out of the least is really the level of skill that you have in wrestling. No, totally. I that out a long time ago. Can you get? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean. One of my mentors was uh, Robbie Brookside when I first started going to England, and uh, you know that oh, know was what, uh, that was yep, what he instilled all into all of us. And he could do everything, but he did yeah, nothing. Yeah, I know, right? I know. But he had emotion. He could sell, and he could work. He didn't have to do everything every night. Right, and and you know that's the sign of of a guy who gets it. Number one. And a guy who is going to end up, like you said, you're 52 and you can still go out and work on a tour. And the reason for that is because, you know, it's like, you know, Bill Eady, Demolition Axe. I've wrestled him a bunch of times, a lot in the 90s. And he told me, he goes, that was a perfect match. He goes, we didn't do anything. We had to crowd in the palm of our hand. And we walked back in the locker room together and nobody's hurt. He goes, there, there you go. go. I just you got paid. Yeah. Exactly. You've got the most important part. That's right. <laughs> what I, uh, what I, 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 I'll tell you a quick story and then I'll let you talk. I uh, decided to go to the the police academy and become a, uh, a police officer down here. And I remember when I took the job, I looked at the guy next to me and I said, uh, when is Pizay Day? And he's like, what? <laughs> I go, when do we get Pizay? <laughs> he's like, what? <laughs> I go, and I had to think for a second, I'm like, Oh, dude, when do we get paid? <laughs> so like, Most of the wrestlers wouldn't understand what you're saying now. <laughs> well, the, the, you know, the marks would. The, 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 the fans would run, out of the, would run out of the stands, and they'd understand you, but most of the boys wouldn't, which is, oh, which God, is the most fucked-up thing. It is, dude. It's, 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 you're, you're, you know, and that's what Nick said. He goes, you guys are going to want great because you're old school, and it's just like, you know, it's, oh. It's not that I don't appreciate what's what's what you know because the business is different now and I try not to be that bitter old guy but uh, it's hard not to be you know because especially at my size you know to be honest with you my size is a detriment to me in wrestling now and and, and I'm I, you know I I, I I do believe that I'm the busiest wrestler in Canada right now uh, independent wrestler probably any wrestler in Canada but. Uh, you know, and and that's good, but uh, I've I've lost some gigs because the promoter will tell me, you know, we don't really have anyone to work with you. Well, what do you mean? I'm too fucking big now to be a pro wrestler? What the hell's going on here? Get some big guys. It's not my fault. You, you know what, Brody? I texted Nick the other day. Sorry. I texted Nick the other day, and my question was hit. Sam was, where have all the heavyweights gone? Yeah. Because seriously, I mean, you know, that's why in the in the 80s and 90s, I got so much work because I was a big enough guy where you put me up against a Bundy or 911 or wrestled for, for uh, ECW or any of the bigger guys out there. You could put me up against them, and it was a sizable match. And yeah. then it got towards the later part of my career, I was dwarfing everybody. And, yeah. you know, you'll see, you see me in there at 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, Imagine a guy like you in there with what's out there today. Who, who I mean... Who do you, you you can only do the he's faster and quicker than me match so many times before you're like it's starting to suck. 
The only markets I work in where there's big guys, or actually there's a few big guys in England, but Germany, uh, and it's just we just did a tournament there where I was literally the fifth or sixth heaviest guy there and probably the fifth or sixth tallest guy there. So that, that's a huge crew in India. Kali, wow. uh, Kali's got a few giants, you know, and, yeah. and like like bigger than him. So uh, you know, those those are the only two places. But those are those are raw. Germany is still is still like the. Uh, it's kind of a throwback. It's like if the Maritimes had never gone in the direction it's gone and, and uh, had become, tr- you know, remained true to its roots. Germany has kind of done that, and India is just new, so they need the, they need the spectacle of, of huge guys. But right. uh, everywhere else, I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm, 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 I, I feel like I'm not even one of their peers when I walk into a dressing room. These guys are these little Tyler Bates and all these little fuckers. They're, they're up to my waist. They've got little, they've got these little tiny like AJ Styles and those guys. They've got these tiny little feet that they could, they should be wearing baby booties, not wrestling boots. <laughs> hey, Liz, hey, hey, Brody. Last week, the week before, RVD called uh, AEW all petite wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what they are. <laughs> you know, and they claim to be actively looking for hosses, but uh, they don't seem to be hiring any. Yeah, you know, it's. It, 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 I, I think, you know, the appeal for wrestling for big guys, I think, isn't there like it was. Like, if you put you in 1995 and the WWF, you're you're one of the guys. I mean, you yeah. fit in like to a T. First time I went up there in '96, I looked at my partner. We were both about six two, six three. I looked around and. I go, God, it's the land of the giants up here. I mean, you know, coming from the Indies, I grew up there, and even the indie guys, were, the big indie guys were small because I was one of them. And you went up there. Mm. I mean, that's, that's the era that, you know, I mean, to me that was like the – that was the beginning of millennium and, and the last five, six, seven, eight years, nine years especially, we've come out of this, this business where they're just – is any heavyweights, and you know, I used to always have this theory. I used to always say, if the guy in the front row thinks that you, he might, might be able to kick your ass, you need to either go spend more time in the gym or figure out a way to grow four inches. <laughs> I gotta agree. Uh, I, I agree a hundred percent. And uh, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, people come, people that don't know who I am, I'm almost every day, somebody will say to me, "You must be a wrestler," and I think to myself. You're an old wrestling fan. You're somebody that watched wrestling in the 80s and 90s. You're not watching That's wrestling right. now because you'd be yeah. asking my 12-year-old daughter if, if she was a wrestler. Right. Exactly. Right. So did, yeah, uh, well, did you? It, it is what it is. We, there's no point being bitter about it. It's just uh, it's changed, good, bad, or indifferent. If I, if I was a fan, I wouldn't be watching it anymore personally. But, uh, you know, I'm not everybody. Well, I find it. You know, Nick and I, I, I told Nick when we started to do the program together, I said, I'm telling you, I, I, I struggle to watch it. I make my wife take all the forks and knives out of the house so I don't gouge my eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> she has to take them all in the car and go around the block until the show's over. <laughs> I, I just simply I just simply don't watch it, you know. my uh, I'm friends with Bobby Roode, so if, he, if I'm flipping through the channels and he's on, I'll watch. That's about it, you know. I've got you right. know, my... There, I've got a few other friends there, the same type of thing, but I won't even watch the whole match. It's just, 
But to be a hundred percent fair, I was never a huge fan until you know I was a casual fan. When I got into the business, I fell in love with the business, and and I, and I like still a, do love it. Was like a power lifter or something? Yeah, strong man. Yeah. Strong man. That was it. That was. Yeah. I had heard that about you that you were you were doing the Canadian power lifters, Canadian strong man. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, I was a pretty yeah. decent strong man for for the time. I mean, I couldn't compete with these guys now. That's it's like everything else. It's uh, you know, it's become very specialized and evolved. But uh, I still yeah. enjoy that that sport as well to as a spectator. And there's better I gear lift out there. There's better yeah. gear out there. Yeah, well, that's that's this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And not just that, but massage therapy and peptides, and you know, which I guess would be gear too. But uh, you know, yeah. just everything combined, you know, people can do can get a lot more out of their career, and and they and they can they figure out a way that 400 pound men can move like cats, uh, which I'm surprised that somebody like uh, like uh, Thor, half Thor Bjornsson, or Brian Shaw, that that Vince McMahon hasn't thrown one of those guys five million dollars and said. Come, you know, he could have a six foot nine, four hundred pound elite athlete. Well, may, or maybe he has offered, and they just don't want us. Yeah, They're you doing know, quite well you know, as it is. It really surprises me because, you know, for the longest time, Vince was all about the big guys. I mean, that was his thing when he started the bodybuilding group and stuff. He was all yeah. always about. You know, Akam Albright became a wrestler for him. Great guy. Right, right. Never, yeah. never made the transition. Yeah, super nice <laughs> yeah. guy. But, but you know, I mean, guys up there, Vince always had that that moniker of, you know, throughout the '80s and the '90s, one of the huge guys, the big draws. I mean, you look at, you know, Hogan and how far he pushed him because of his physique, and yeah, he had some prison stuff. But I mean, he was a big dude. But he did it with a lot of guys. And then I don't know, yeah. I don't know what happened. I just, like I said. I don't think wrestling is attracting the big guys as much as it used to either. Well, um, that's, that's I mean, that's a, when I talk to big guys, and you know, because I try to recruit guys into the business. I, I'll always do that, you know, I'm trying to keep the business alive. But when I right. there's a few huge guys in the gyms around here. When I talk to them, they're interested initially, but when you have to be honest with them at some point about the entry-level money. And uh, the entry level money was shit when I started, but nothing compared to what it is now. It's awful. I mean, you can't tell some guy that some guy that's making two or three hundred dollars a night working the doors, you can't tell him that every weekend he's going to go wrestle for fifty bucks. No, you know, because he's going to tell you, well, fuck, I I need to eat, I need I need to buy my gear, and you know, <laughs> everything else. So. You know, smaller guys, I guess, are willing to take that chance because they don't have the options that bigger guys have, and the bigger guys also have UFC if they're an athlete, their MMA that they're thinking about, or or professional football or whatever. You know what I mean? It's uh, if you think about it for a second, you just hit the nail on the head because you know you say to the big guy, first off, the money's not there anymore for 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 the guys that are working the independent, and if a big guy thinks he might get into wrestling and he watches it on television, what's the message he's being told from the national product? Yeah. You're too, you're too big. Yeah. You know? That's you're right. So. Yeah. And, that, and, and I mean, when I was, when I was a young big guy like in the gym training, we all watched wrestling in, in the gym on Tuesday, all everybody talked about was what was, what happened on Monday night raw the night before. Or whatever wrestling, you know, whatever day, you know, it's uh, all the big guys wanted to be wrestlers. Now nobody does. 
But I'll be yep. honest, if, it, when I started in the 90s, if somebody would have told me, you're going to, you know, come out and wrestle for 50 bucks a night, two or three nights a week, I would have told them to go fuck themselves too. And that was over 20 years ago. Oh, so no. I, I can't, I mean, I can't expect another big guy to, you know, because I could walk, I could walk down the sidewalks and find that and, and lose change. You know, <laughs> it didn't make sense to risk your health for us. You can stand on the corner and and dare people for twenty bucks. You lend a piece of rebar and make five hundred bucks a day. Why would you go throw your body around, and take a chance on a on a life threatening mm-hmm. injury for fifty bucks? I mean, seriously. Because I heard some crazy yep. story about you carrying two two hundred fifty pound weights like a thousand feet. Is that true story? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but uh, it was I think it was 375 pounds in each end, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on, i got to do my job. <laughs> I, I got that early. But, you know, another thing, too, is, when, you, know, you know, when you got in the business, and I got in a little bit before you, but back then, all the big guys, I mean, 90% of the big guys that I hung around, everybody worked out and stayed in shape and stayed tan, too. I mean, oh, the big totally. guys yeah. look good, man. They look good. Yeah. And now the only big guys that attracts are the guys that, that that wouldn't have fit in that era of us. Yeah. No, I mean well, it was, it's part it, to me. It was just part of the job. You go to you, you go to a town, you find a gym, you find a tanning bed. If they're both in the same place, that's fucking great. You know that that's like the big victory for the day. But you know that's uh, uh that's what you did. You, know, you woke up in the morning, you try to. Down some coffee, shake off the hangover, and uh, and find a gym. Yeah, they're not that like that. That was the life. That was the life, man. The kids today couldn't do it. What's that? The kids today could never keep up with the way the guys were back then. I mean, and, and well, the guys. Some, could, some, 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 some of them do. <clears throat> and there's there's some there's some guys with brilliant physiques. Uh, you know the. I wrestled with a guy named, uh, named Joel Pettifer in in uh, in England. He's working for All Japan now, but he works for uh, works for All Star Wrestling in England as well. And you know, he's making a full time living in wrestling. And you know, he's clean and he's got the best physique. But he really, really gives her. You know, and uh, there, there there's a few of them, but uh, you know, they're they're certainly outnumbered by the by the guys that uh, you're right wouldn't wouldn't be able to keep up with that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, it was a. It was a hey, it was a balls to wall lifestyle, man. Because not only did we hit the gym, not only did we go tan, but we sure as heck went out and did our share of partying too. So it was, you know, every night. It was a lifestyle. Every man. night. I mean, I, uh, but we've we've never uh, worked together, you and I. But uh, I mean, I know uh, in in uh, in my youth, uh, it wasn't really my youth. My my prime was in my thirties, I guess. Uh, unless I'm still in my prime, but uh, I don't drink that much now. But it used to be every night we'd party every night. Every night. Every I mean, night. you say in the morning, "No way, am I going out tonight?" But then after, you know, you get the adrenaline, and you know, you get a, a pocket full of money, and you know, next thing you know, it's closing time. And you know what? That was hey, that, that that was just that was just the lifestyle, man. That's what we did. All of us did. You know, I mean, it was just, and especially in the in the in the late '80s and all through the '90s. That was the deal, man. If you were if you were a big guy, and you had you know you were making some money because even back then, I mean, I can tell you, bad indies were paying me, you know, almost ten times what a guy makes now. And once I did a couple of, of WWF stuff in ninety six, ninety seven, 
that doubles and triples plus hotel rooms. And so, you know, you can, I always had a second gig as a sales guy with benefits and stuff, but they let me come in when I want to and work when I wanted to, as long as it hit my numbers. But I'm telling you, I was wrestling, you know, not as much as you, but like 150, 160 nights a year for a long time. And, you know, you know, it was, man, we still found the gym. We still found the training bed. We still managed to put on muscle, not fat, and we still went out and we partied with the best of them every night. It's just what we did. Oh, well, there you go. That's the, that's the name of the game. Uh, here's a sad story. About uh, 12 years ago, or something like that, it was, uh, anyway, a while ago, and it was when I, when I really started to see the, the, the wrestler culture die out. We were in Dublin one night, and we were doing a two-week tour of Ireland. And, uh, you know, it, we're lucky enough that he put us right downtown Dublin. So uh, us old guys, I was probably already 40 or close to it. You know, I, I was thinking, well, geez, this is a good, uh, good result. We're right downtown. So I went and knocked on one of the young guys' door, who's actually a pretty big star right now. I knocked on his door. It was about because uh, we did an afternoon show. It was a Saturday, uh, so around nine thirty, I knocked on his door to to see if he was going out. He came and answered his hotel room door with his pajamas on, in a fucking uh, a, uh, a remote control in his hand for a video game. Oh, That's geez. what he was doing on a Saturday night in downtown Dublin. He was about twelve oh, years old. I thought to myself, "What the fuck has this business become?" He should have strangled him right then, man. I should have. I would have yeah. bailed you out. I would have bailed we wouldn't you out. be having this conversation with you. <laughs> I would have, uh, listen, if I found out why you were in jail over that, I would have found the bail money. I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my outrage was uh, wasn't just uh, it wasn't just my outrage. The most of the crew was like, "What the hell." And, uh, you know, we used to do three or four tours a year of Ireland then, and this guy, that guy never came back. <laughs> that was his one and only tour of Ireland. As a matter of fact, the, promo- the, the promoter of those tours died 10 years ago today. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that when you lose a good guy who put money in your pocket and brought you to places like that. There's not enough he of them pay- out there as it is. The deal with him was, uh, his name was Oreg Williams, and, uh, if he if he brought you in for one tour and you didn't drink, you never came back. And uh, and that. how he would weed people out is he would uh, he would pay he would only book halls that are close to a local pub, and then to get paid you would you'd finish your show and then you'd meet him at the local pub, and he would pay everybody at the pub and then he would tell somebody who was a Welshman, he would tell some tales and stories about his uh, about his day and we'd have a little sing song and then he'd leave. So when you went up to get your pay from him, you'd have a drink with him. And uh, that's how he weeded people out. And Daniel Bryan was one guy that, and he's a great friend of mine. He was a great guy, and still is. You know, he uh, he did one tour for Oreg, and Oreg said, "Nope, he doesn't drink. Can't trust him." <laughs> it was as simple as that. If you didn't drink, you weren't a wrestler to him. <laughs> that's funny. In, in honor of him, I will take a sip of my new Belgian Voodoo Ranger Imperial IPA at nine percent alcohol. So here's the. Oh, cheers! Cheers! I'll have a drink with you. I just happen to have one open. It's a Coors Light. If you if uh, if you don't mind me uh, low browing the show. <laughs> hey, bro. I drank plenty of those in my day too. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's alcohol that's in front of us for wrestlers. What do you do? You drink it. That's well, yeah. What you do. But so we had a guy down here in the States, Doug Slack. Uh, Doug, I mean, he might be friends with my Facebook, Nick, Doug Yansky. 
and he promoted uh, back in the time of the mid '90s. He was in uh, in Pennsylvania, just north of Philadelphia, in in uh, Scranton, Wilkesbury, in the uh, Pocono Mountains, and he would run great shows. He'd bring in 911, a guy from ECW, Big Al. Um, he'd bring in. Uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you remember Public Enemy. He would bring in those oh, yeah. guys. Yeah. He would bring in those guys. He'd bring in the Iron Sheik and and the Sheik. I was, my pe- my penance for wrestling was I traveled for two years with the Iron Sheik on the road with him every weekend. Pick him up at the airport, <laughs> travel all weekend, take him back to the airport. But but you know, I'm sorry to hear um, this. <laughs> well, between the, between the Sheik, Johnny Brunge, and Pat Petty, they changed my name. I think his phone went again. My God, you're getting good at this too. <laughs> I, <laughs> I could hear the signal. Yep, I said, "Oh, here he goes. We're losing him again." <laughs> yeah, it starts clicking, and it's like uh, it's like static. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear on this side too. I'm calling him in right now. He's already in there. God only knows. All right, buddy. This is a well, great job. We can talk too. Absolutely. I'm really glad you came back. Like I said, we haven't talked in a while. I've been just kind of doing my own thing. and But it's not been set up yet. Oh. What the heck was that? That would be his voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, listen, what are you doing now? You're home. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good. Well, what's going on my phone tonight, guys? I apologize. <laughs> Nice, hey. welcome back. Where have you been? Yeah, right, exactly. Apparently that sip of voodoo L really put me over the edge. <laughs> what are you using, a can with a string as a phone? To Nick tell you, because it's true. That's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> I did the iPhone and the and the Android, then went back to the two tin cans and swine. Oh, Probably works pretty good, but it's raining out. <laughs> It's raining here, actually, too. Are you in St. John, Nick? Yeah, it's raining here. All right. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Uh, wasn't sure where you were now. Well, it's yeah. raining in North Carolina. So, what do you know? <laughs> yeah, we just got lots of snow too last week. So let's hope that's all gone now. Yeah, we get a little. We get a little. Well, I'm from I'm from upstate New York, about a stone's throw from 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 Canada, across Lake Ontario. And it's right, kind of right, funny right. because. Because I can't, down here they get four inches of snow and close the school for between a week and two weeks, and they have zero snow removal equipment. It's unbelievable. We only get it every four or five years, but right, right. Four, four inches of snow will close everything for a week or two. It's insane. Yeah, pe- it's, people are amazed the amount of snow that we get here, and the in the in the, the, the it barely affects us. The, you know, we've got the infrastructure in place to just boom, it's gone. Well, yeah. it's like my mom is the same way. You know, it's just I mean, there's 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 the, the whole highway department. As a matter of fact, where I'm from, you know, not as much snow as you guys, but we're we're in the snow belt coming off Lake Ontario, so the school buses have snow plows on them for four months out of the year. You know? And no, geez, I've never seen this. Oh yeah, six, six or eight inches of snow. They still went to school where I'm from, but you know, we're at the end of Lake Ontario, so when when other areas around us used to get three or four inches, it would drop a foot, two foot, right in our laps. So right. you know, people. We'd ride snowmobiles and we'd go 30 miles away and there was no snow. So you know, you didn't snowball, you get 160 inches a year every year like clockwork. So. Oh yeah, it's great. I, uh, you know, I love it. I, I don't like snow. Period. I hate snow. Uh, me too. 
It's funny well, how I've spent well, 50, 50 winters here. Actually, I used to I used to make sure that I would usually be gone uh, at least for most of of January and all of February because those those are busy times body, in man. Europe. So so I I could escape it most years, but uh, yeah, I don't well, think gonna... I'll be a, a I think I'm out till February now. So. So, I got a few. Uh, but, I get a few years on you, brother. Let me tell you, it only gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm doing my best. You know, I, 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 I'm only measuring my career right now one year at a time. So, you know, yeah. I had one. Of, I'd, I just, although I only had probably 125 matches this year, I had my best financial year ever with a third of the work. So, right. so you know, I just, I just want to make a little more hay while the sun is up. Uh, but I only go a year at a time now. Next year, I've, it, it looks like a looks like a busy year, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll see. You know, I, I might be uh, I could be doing a straight job before you know it. You never know. Yeah, you but, never know. Uh, I'm just never. trying to enjoy it now. I'm trying to I'm trying to make the trips count. You know, where 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 we talked earlier about just seeing the the hotels and and uh, and airports and stuff like that. I'm trying to you know to, I'm trying to do more sightseeing. I was at a concentration camp a few weeks ago, which is a horrible sight to see. But, uh, but me me and Joe Doring walked around and and uh, took a few hours and and you know absorbed it because it was nearby. You know, it's uh, that's not something I would have done probably years ago. But uh, right. actually, funnily enough, I did go to that same concentration camp 15 years ago. But uh, you know, but uh, in general, it's uh, it's not something I would normally do. Yeah, right. I understand. I understand. But it's kind of a, you know, it's a historical thing. You can say you did it. You got it in the memory banks, and you got to go there and those places. From what I understand, my friends went pretty emotional places and stuff. Oh, so, totally. You know, yeah. Stick, stick yeah, with we you stood there and uh, we we stood there by Anne Frank's grave. It's crazy. You know, oh, there's like two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand graves all condensed in this little area. Unbelievable. But, uh, you know, the, the 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 point isn't really that. The, the point is that I'm trying to. When I, you know, like uh, my last time in Japan, uh, I was with Mike Hughes, and and we uh, we we did some research about the area, and we said, you know, let's let's go out and see a Buddhist uh, temple and stuff like that, which I don't think we got around to doing, but at least we at least we thought about it. You know? well, <laughs> your intentions were good. <laughs> That's always yeah, I've, been on, I've been on five five safaris in the last three years, so that that's that's pretty cool. That is great. I think that's cool. Did you kill an with bare hands or did you use a gun? <laughs> well, I did wrestle with a, a 10-month-old lioness cub. What? What and uh, she could she could have fucking tore my head off at any second. She probably weighed maybe 180 pounds. But uh, I've never felt such strength. Me and Gene Snitsky got in the cage with her and uh, took turns wrestling with her. And the, the, uh, the owner of the exhibit... <laughs> He was like he made us look small. He's a South Africa's strongest man. He uh he, he 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 would yell directions to the to the cub if it got too uh too aggressive with us. We were fucking terrified, but how do you how do you not do something like that when it's offered to you? Yeah, yeah. Hey here's the here's the little game Nick and I play, it's called six degrees of cue ball Michael. Uh, okay. I can connect I can connect to anybody in wrestling within six degrees. Next time you see Gene Gene, ask him who his first match in the wrestling business was against. Okay. It was me. I'm just saying. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I figured that. It wouldn't have been good if it was somebody it would have been good if it was somebody else. But yeah, him and Robert Harper were the twin towers. And uh, right. 
me and Jimmy Cicero with our first match in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. And uh, they, were, they, were, they were pretty nervous for as big as they were, but, yeah. Oh, I'll bet, yeah. There's I mean, nothing harder than wrestling. Yeah, that's back, nine, I think, 90, 95 or 96. I broke in 96, 97, something like that. Well, anyway, right. his first match, and I'm like, I, I looked at him. I looked at him and I said, man, if you guys don't get hurt and you stay in the gym, I said, you're going to be rich in the business. So, I don't think it was. I don't think it was as much for Rob as it, as it was for Gene, though. Yeah, well, I I, th- I don't think I'll ever see Gene again because he's re- he's retired from wrestling now. But uh, I still oh, talk to him here here and there. When he talked to, to be fair, I, to be fair, I, I've only ever done one tour with him. So, but we just we he's just one of those guys that it's it's easy to click with. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, good dude, good dude. The next time you talk to him, I'm telling him I talk to you too. The next time you yep. talk to him. I talked to your buddy Cubo Carmichael. And, hey, uh, you said something was, earlier when you before you cut off the first time about Tracy Smothers. What, what's uh? Oh no, what's the, you know him, right? Yeah, yeah. He spent a summer in England with us. Uh, yeah, I was going to call fifteen years ago. I knew he. I knew he knew you because somehow in conversation, one time you had come up, and I was going to call him today, and I didn't get a chance to. And I was going to mention you were going to be on the show tonight. We're going to get him on the show. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure those two know each other. I heard somewhere somehow that you guys had done a tour together or something. I don't know where I heard it from. I think I heard Yeah, I, he, 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 I, I showed up to the, the, the digs in England where we all, all the wrestlers stayed together. I walked in one day and I was showing up for a tour, and he was sleeping on the couch. And he he jumped up because he's such a nervous guy, you know, he's, just looked up and saw a giant standing over him. He jumped up like he was ready to fight, and uh, we we were fast friends uh, ever since. It, to the, as a matter of fact, in this in this town is called Birkenhead. Do you remember a rest, uh, or a, a boxer named Ernie Shavers that fought Muhammad of Ali? Of course, of course. Yeah, he was one of the greatest heavyweights ever. He lives there. He owns a bar in Liverpool. So anyway, he's uh, Ernie Shavers is driving down the street one day. And Tracy was uh, was wobbling along, uh, carrying two uh, two uh, two bags. One with his gimmicks and his uh, his merchandise, and the other with his wrestling gear. He's heading to the bus. So Ernie Shavers felt bad for him and pulls over and offers him a lift. So uh, says, "Where are you going?" And, and Tracy goes, "Well, I'm I'm just going to the train station. I got to go uh, to Newcastle or, or for a show." So uh, Ernie takes him to a to the to the train station and or the bus whichever it was. And they become like the best of friends. And I told, I remember, like to me, it was just a, such a strange thing, like such a, because Tracy gets in the car, he goes, "You're Ernie Shavers," and, and right. Shavers says, he says, "Nobody recognizes me over here." And Tracy That's goes, "Well, I'm crazy. not from here." And uh, and they, and they uh, every time Tracy would have a day off, he'd call Shavers, and Shavers would come pick him up, and they'd spend the day together watching watching boxing, uh, old bo- boxing VHS tapes. He was and, back uh, in short. George Foreman and Joe Frazier's there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Ernie, it's big black that bald, bald guy, big black bald guy. Yeah, but back before bald was, uh, you know, when bald was rare, when people when just was, would hang on to their hair, the right. the hair on when the sides it, and all that. There was, him and, there was like was him and Kojak. That was it. Him and Kojak and uh, and what was the other guy's name? Uh, that'll come to me. Another actor. Yule yeah, Brenner. there was very few of them. Yule, Yule Brenner. Brenner. That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the three. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Lou Gossett Jr. was uh, was probably right after that. <laughs> yeah, he came in at the end of that. But yeah, there was Yul Brenner was probably 
the first guy. Then there was Kojak. Yeah, 60s. Then yeah. there was Ernie Savers. And then it kind of spread like wildfire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It became cool. Yeah, well, I've been shaving my head. I, I've been shaving my head for like 20, 22 years. Um, and I go back and I look at videos on YouTube of me when I had, well, I can't really say I had hair. I had a skullet, but, you know, I worked a lot with Tom, I worked a lot with Tom Brandy. And back then he was Johnny Gunn, and I would say that and he, he had just started doing Salvatore Sincere at WWE. And I would tell people that I was losing it on top and on the side, and I would say, when I pull my hat off, what I'm sporting underneath here is a $300 Italian haircut. I'm not bald, and I'm not losing my hair. This is what everybody <laughs> in Italy wears. I pull the hat off, and the baldy chance would go crazy. And I remember when I shaved my head, Brandy walked up to me and he goes, why would you kill the best gimmick ever in wrestling? I'm like, <laughs> it looks better for this chick. He's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing about wrestling is, uh, you know, I don't really want to have a big blonde mohawk like I have right now. It's it's just strictly for the business. But when I'm picking my daughter up at school, you think I want to be that the six foot six, three hundred guy, three hundred pound guy walking in with the blonde mohawk? I'm, you know, I'm a man in my fifties, you know, walking around with a, you know, I feel like a fucking retard. But uh, it's it is, it is what it is. You know, it's, oh, quit, hold, uh, quit holding back. Tell us how you really feel. It, 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 it makes me money, so uh, uh, I got it. I got it, and maybe it doesn't make me money. But you, when you when you're when you're on, as you know, when you're on any kind of role in this business, you don't change anything. No, nope, because what you change could be nope. could be that one fucking thing that makes you not uh, marketable anymore. So yep. don't, you know, stop, I, get, don't, I get the furry, the I get the furry boots and the leather vest and the. Yep. Don't change it. Write it out. Write it out, brother. Well, listen, man. It was great to have you on the show. We got to have you back, man. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's like talking to, you know, it's funny. Did you talk to you, you? You can tell that there's brothers in the business, and how they relate to things. You know, you definitely totally. feel that brotherhood, whether you know somebody personally or not. You spend a half an hour, 40 minutes talking to them, and you can just go on and on and on and on. And it, it, oh, you know, for sure. Yeah. It just yeah. wouldn't end. So, but, man, I appreciate yeah. you coming on, Brody. It was great to have you. Continued success. Um, enjoy your tours. Be safe. Do great things. Um, you know, just like you said, take it a year at a time. And it's the time in your life, like you said, you can work a third of the work, make the same money or better money. And enjoy your family, enjoy your life, enjoy the, the, you know, last few years that you have. And, you know, who knows, you can wrestle in 10 years, you're in great shape. But I'm just saying, enjoy it. Thanks, brother. And uh, and the same to you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, although Thanks, we've never met, maybe we'll meet someday. Oh, it's going to happen. Well, there you go. Don't expect Pete? to see me at that fucking Las Vegas thing that everyone talks about, though. I got no interest in, until unless never, they decide to fl- unless they hey. decide to fly me in and pay me a wage. <laughs> no interest, never been, no interest, dude. And and the guy that trained me, the guy that trained me started it. And no disrespect to him, but no interest in it. I'm not going to go there with a bunch of fake guys acting like I'm in some kind of fraternity with half the guys that don't think the same shit I think. Yeah, it's the same as me, and uh, and uh, a lot of friends of mine will be there, and they enjoy it and whatever. But uh, it's not my deal. I do this to make money. I don't buy plane tickets. They buy me plane tickets, and <laughs> it ain't. I am not. I'm not going to change that now. No, it is the wrestling business. 
Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad you came on. It really meant a lot to me to have you on the show, man. Thanks, brother. It was my pleasure. And uh, ho- I hope to see you soon. We have a show next uh, next Friday in Moncton, if you want to pop down as my oh, guest. Uh, yeah, I'd love to have you. Love to have you there. Yeah, man. Okay, love to have you there. Awesome, man. Maybe I will. I'll get yeah, up there cool. one time and go with him, too, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Have your uh, have your one last match. Already had it. <laughs> it was against my pit bull in the yard, and I lost. <laughs> there's there's no such thing as a last match until they throw dirt in my face. No, I mean there's a there's no such thing as a last match if there if there's a if there's a reasonable amount of money, you know, <laughs> unless you physically just can't do. It. I mean, fucking hell, to, to Terry uh, Dory Funk is still was he 80 years old? He's still doing a couple matches a year. <laughs> they're paying him. As long as they're paying him, he's gonna go. Yeah, and you know what? And they're probably paying him a couple grand to do it. Why not? Oh, easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. All right, guys, I'm going to let you go, and uh, we'll all get on with our nights. uh, 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 It's been an absolute pleasure, and I'll talk to you both soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Brian. All right, guys, later. 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 Hey, okay, listen, we have two minutes left. I've got to throw a quick commercial in here before we do anything. Do it. Just one sec. Hey, this is Lester Spade. Some of you may know me as your favorite Super Bowl commercial, office linebacker, the original Triple T, Terry Tate. And I'm here to tell you to keep it locked right here on Q-Ball, Carl Michaels' radio show, Triple T radio show. I don't know why he's got Triple T radio show when I'm Triple T, but I'm going to deal with him later. Keep it locked right here. Don't go nowhere else I'm going to give him the hot tag, and he's going to put the boots to you. Listen, now the, the the show has been kicked ass, and we got a minute. That was a great guest. It, man, you I swear, I you thought you knew him for 30 years. Man, it was, you know, and that bond of brotherhood extends so far and so deep to another guy who's got the same beliefs as you, and and, you know, has been through the same battles that you have, has made a living at this business. I mean, that's just something that a lot of guys can't relate to. But when you get two guys, whether on the phone, 3,000 miles apart, next door, in a bar, whatever, that relationship is instantaneous. You know, I mean, I, I would I would have loved that a chance to tour and work with that guy, man. Love to. Well, I can tell you, he's uh, he's everything he says he is. He's a great guy, man. I've had the chance to meet him numerous times, hang out with him, chat with him, have a beer with him, uh, think the world of him. Uh, never been in the ring, never did anything with him around the ring. Kind of happy about that, too. But uh, I love him to death, and, uh, you know, you got conspiracy theories coming up. But before we get to that, we got to take a quick sidebar. I know you're excited. Do you want to tell me? i got a home run tonight, baby. All right. I'm going to put it to you like this, guys. Okay, here it is. Here's the deal. It is the one and only one of my favorite things to talk about, intro cave. It is uh, making professional videos, intro videos for your Facebook, your YouTube, anything you want. 
and they offered to you. And believe it or not, but if you go to the website, introcave.com, and you click on the sign up and you use the promo code Triple T Radio, you're actually going to save 30%. You, you've seen the videos we've made. And I know you're a big proponent of it. You know what I was thinking? If you're a bride and you're about to have a bridal shower, you're about to have a bachelorette party. You're about to get married. You're you're about to have a bachelor party. You're about to do any of those things related to a wedding. Get yourself an intro video done because it'll be the coolest memory that you have about your upcoming marriage, nuptials, bachelor party, bachelorette party. Get one of these videos made for. I saw that and I said, man, it's the first thing that came to mind. This thing's a home run. Absolutely it is, and uh, they're letting you hit a home run by going to their site, and uh, you basically just, guys, click it, sign up, use the promo code Triple T Radio, you'll save 30% off your order, we promise you won't regret a thing, that is introcave.com. All right, Q, we've got all sorts of stuff to cover here, and I know you're looking forward to it, so... uh, Tell me what you got on tap here. We're going to go where we probably shouldn't go. We're going to go into the Clinton, that's the Bill and Hillary Clinton conspiracy, and the people that have been left in the wake of the dead trail by by the Clintons, starting from number one all the way up. Whew. You ready? Let's do it. Here we go. The first one, Mary Mahane. She's a former White House intern. She was gunned down in a coffee shop, but nothing was taken. It was suspected she was about to testify about sexual harassment at the White House. This is in the 90s, July 6, 1997. The robbery uh, was at a coffee shop. The guy who did it in 1999, Harvard Cooper, 29, was arrested and charged, and, and he was convicted, life with no parole. Um, three three people were killed in the course of the robbery, during which nothing was taken. Uh, 2006 guilty plea. Uh, he went into the Starbucks to rob the place and just started shooting it up, and incidentally shot this woman. And right away, we come to the first big lie in the Clinton uh, campaign, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because once he was there. She made a run for it after he fired a warning shot. This this Mahane woman did. Fired a warning shot in the ceiling. She was ordered back to the room, but then went for the gun. Cooper shot her, and afterwards shot two other employees. He left empty-handed, afraid the shots had attracted police attention. As regrettable as these three deaths were, there's nothing but a case of a robbery gone wrong. And right away, come the first big lie of the Clinton body count. An unexplained death can automatically be attributed to President Clinton by inventing a connection between him and the victim. Remember, he did once work as an intern at the White House. The soul of hundreds of other people who are still alive. There's no credible reason why, of all the interns who served in the Clinton White House, Mahaney would be the target of the Clinton direct killing. Contrary to public perception, very few interns work in the West Wing of the White House or have any contact with the president. The closest most interns get to the chief executive with a single brief handshake in a group photo. The punitive reason offered Mahaney slang is she was about to testify about sexual harassment in the White House. 
It was a lie. The absurd justification apparently sprang from a hint dropped by Mike Escout in Newsweek just before Monica Lewinsky's scandal broke. Of course, we know that the Clinton staffer referred to as Monica Lewinsky, not Mahaney. The conspiracy bus maintained the White House men rushed out willy-nilly and got down the first female ex-intern they could find who began with the name N. So we believe that this is definitely attributed to the Clinton conspiracy. Number two, Vince Foster. This is my favorite one because I researched this to death. He was former White House counsel. He was found dead of a gunshot wound to the head, ruled a suicide. He had significant knowledge of Clinton's financial affairs and was a business partner of Hillary's. The Clintons are guilty of the crimes they are accused of. Vince Foster would have detailed knowledge of those crimes. The interesting thing about the Vince Foster death is the gun was found in Vince Foster's right hand in a park in Arlington where he shot himself on the night of July 20th, 1993. However, Vince Foster was left-handed. No one using a left hand shoots themselves in the head with their right hand. It just doesn't happen. It's not their dominant hand. It's not their gun hand. So what most people believe, because there was no blood at the scene, even though he shot himself in the head, which, you know, head wounds bleed, is that he was killed elsewhere and dumped in the park. And, of course, the interesting thing about the gun, his fingerprints were not found on the gun. So there's one that raises questions. See Victor Raisin II, former National Finance co-chairman of the Clinton for President campaign, and Montgomery Raisin's son both died in a suspicious private plane crash in Alaska. No cause determined. Razor was considered to be a major player on the Clinton team. All plane crashes are suspicious, and most are blamed on pilot error and mechanical failure. They're far most of the common, they're, they're by far the most common causes. They're generally pretty good about the ruling, uh, the use of explosives or manner of mechanical tampering. If the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, doesn't find evidence of tampering explosives, then and that's that went down the plane. It's mechanical failure or it's an accident. However, the son of three others died in the plane crash during a fishing trip. Another person survived with severe beer burns. Well, the body count list claims no cause determined by the NTSB reported. Otherwise, pilot error in a small plane flying a mountainous train during low visibility conditions led to the crash? No. Actually, there was no pilot error and there was no mechanical failure. Signs of explosives were found at the crash. Paul Tilly, Democratic National Campaign political director, was found dead in the Little Rock hotel room. No cause was ever determined and no autopsy was ever allowed. Tully was a key member of the damage control squad that came up with some of the Clinton strategies. strategies. So, <clears throat> even though the coroner's job is to find out the reason for death. Why was there no autopsy? Because that's going to really tell you what the autopsy would be. It's believed that the Clintons had the killing plan in order to have him not come out about the strategies behind it. Ed Wiley, Clinton fundraiser, found in the woods of Virginia with a gunshot wound to the head, ruled a suicide. Wiley was a former Virginia state senator and a lawyer. His wife, Kathleen, was active in Democratic state politics. 
Workers and volunteers including some fundraising efforts on behalf of the Clintons in Virginia 92. Later served as a volunteer at the White House Social. Ed Wiley's death was as clear-cut case of suicide as one is likely to find. He was a desperate, unstable man, along with his wife, spent money lavishly. He stole $275,000 of a client's money with about a half a million dollars in debt to the IRS and allegedly took his own life on November 29, 1993, leaving behind a suicide note signed by his wife saying, I'm sorry, doesn't explain, I only hope one day you forgive me. However, the note was typed, not handwritten. Nobody types a suicide note. It just doesn't happen. And if you scroll down here, we'll come. it just gets better. Jerry Park, former security team member for Governor Clinton, prior to his death, he had compiled an extensive file on Clinton's activities. His family had reported being followed and his home broken into just before being gunned down at a deserted intersection. On September, September 26, 1993, Jerry Parks was hit with 10 bullets from a 9mm semi-automatic handgun as he left the Mexican restaurant at the edge of Little Rock. His murder remains unsolved to this day. However, he had secret Justice Federation files that he and his father had collected on the secret life of the Clintons' indiscretions. His father was using a file to try to blackmail the Clintons' campaign. He claimed Vince Foster knew of the file's existence. Despite these allegations, Younger Parks never produced a mysterious file. John Wilson, former Washington, D.C. council member, had ties to Whitewater, which was the Hillary campaign where she invested $9,300 and came back with $3 million. Um, huh. died, of very, died of a very suspicious suicide hanging. John Wilson was the chairman of the District of Columbia Council, and his suicide was very far from very suspicious. Wilson had a long history of depression, was wrestling with marital problems, and had tried to kill himself on four other occasions. He finally said, upon his death, Wilson's wife said, his depression was an inherited problem, and he was able to contribute much over the years to the face of a disability. Police said if he did not leave a note, there were no signs of foul play. However, Wilson had worked closely with the Clintons and had much to do with the Whitewater real estate controversy. So it goes on and on. Kathy Ferguson, former wife of Arkansas State Trooper Danny Ferguson, the co-defendant with Bill Clinton in the Paula Jones lawsuit, found dead in her living room of a gunshot wound to the head. Ruled a suicide again. Interestingly, interestingly, her packed suitcases seemed to indicate she was about to go somewhere. Now, if you pack your bags to go on a trip and you commit suicide before you leave the house, doesn't it a little bit suspicious. Why would you bother packing your bags? She bought a ticket. She was ready to leave, and then decided to shoot herself in the head. Well, that's yeah, a little bit. Why would you do that if you're going to leave? Now, her boyfriend, Bill Shelton, Arkansas State Trooper, and fiance of Kathy Ferguson, the one I mentioned before. Allegedly committed suicide by shooting himself at her grave. Shelton killed himself over Kathy Ferguson's grave on the 12th of June, 1994, leaving a suicide note that was found behind his body. Just a month earlier, he quarreled with his girlfriend, accusing her of cheating on him and driven her to suicide. 
Was there anything mysterious about his death or taking his life? It's just kind of ironic that the trooper constitutes a massive Clinton connection and kills himself after his girlfriend is found dead, allegedly killing herself with a plane ticket and packed bags. Hmm. Yeah. Number 11, Gandy Baugh, attorney for Dan Lasseter in a financial misconduct case, supposedly jumped out of a tall building to commit suicide. New accounts state that he died at home on January 8, 1994, without specifying causes. Died at home is a euphemism often employed in news articles and obituaries to avoid a direct mention of suicide, but haven't found any information about exactly how he died, except for he fell from a 12th floor, floor building. <laughs> huh. oh. <laughs> so, next, 12, Dr. Donald Rogers, Dennis, killed in a suspicious plane crash on his way to an interview with the reporter Ambrose Evans Pritchard to reveal information about the Clintons. The plane was carrying really? himself into other... To other passengers, he radioed that he was experiencing electrical trouble and lost control, lost uh, contact. The crash was nothing mysterious about it. The plane's left generator had severely overheated and shut down, leaving the plane without an electrical system. The plane went down far off its planned route. The pilot was good and lost at the time of the crash. However, again, another plane crash involving the kitten. They're the, the kittens, the Clintons. Stanley Higgins, lawyer, investigating Madison guaranteed suicide. His extensive report has never been believed. How can anyone confuse dying of pneumonia with suicide is beyond us? Hopkins died on 23rd of June, 1994, according to Richard Callery, Delaware's top medical examiner, of viral myocardias and bronchial pneumonia killed Higgins. Lieutenant Joel Ivory of the University of Delaware Police said an exhaustive implication the death turned up no signs of foul play. Well, of course it didn't, because they're smart. Well, yeah, of course. Um, it just, it goes, I mean, it's just, there's 90-some of them. Wow. Paula Grover, Clinton's in, uh, interpreter for the death, traveled to Clinton from 1978 until her death in 1992 in a one-car accident with no witnesses. Wow, well, holy... Her car overturned on a curve on the highway. She was thrown 33 feet from the vehicle. No one witnessed the accident. And again, no one provided an explanation for what happened in the accident or any secrets the Clinton interpreter might possess that would merit her murder. Paul Wolter, attorney investigating corruption, had investigated federal elections, drug and gun smuggling through MENA and Waco incident. And then just delivered a lengthy report to Janet Rito, the head of the FBI. He died in his home of unknown causes. His partially decomposed body was found seated on a toilet in his Washington, D.C. home on the 22nd of June, 1993. Although his death was attributed to natural causes, the investigation and the theory of the October surprise conspiracy during the 80 federal election campaign has been interviewing an inmate who claimed to have plotted George Bush Paris so he could secretly seek to delay the release of the 52 American hostages in Iran. President Clinton, just a year into his first term, was hardly likely to give up key political advantage by bumping off someone 
who's supposedly about to dig up some major dirt on him. John Pernell Walker, RTC investigator, mysteriously fell to his death from an apartment balcony. Again, somebody that was close, close to the Clintons. He fell from the Lincoln Towers in Arlington, Virginia. However, there are various versions of his death listed by the state. But there's no documentation on the exact cause of his death. I would say if you saw it in a window, the sudden stop probably killed him. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. It's just, you know, it's just unbelievable. I don't know how you come up with these things. Now you find here's them. A, my God. Here's another, here's another lady that committed suicide who was part of the Clinton campaign. Um, and then there's the Secretary, Assistant Secretary of Commerce, Charles Messiner, who's given a special security clearance shortly after he died in a crash of a small plane, another plane crash. Plane crashes are very, very hard to prove. You can tamper the equipment on an airplane and make it crash. Pretty easy. All you got to do is mess with a compass in a small plane and it won't fly right. Yeah. But still, though, like, that is so crazy. I can't Here's get over that. 22 and 23, Kevin Ives and Don Henry, 17-year-old boys who apparently saw something related to drugs in the Meta incident by accident late at night, officially ruled an accidental death on the train tracks. But evidence shows they died before being placed on the tracks. One of a crushed skull and the other of a knife wound to the back. My God. I can't go back to the real media who killed the boys. Um, Again, they had ties to the Clintons. Unreal. Wow. And then there's a guy, Keith McCaskey, who had information on the death of both those boys. And before he was able to deliver the evidence to a grand jury, he was stabbed to death. Well, of course. (laughs) Gregory Collins, who had information on the death of the boys, Ives and Henry, gunshot wound to the head. He was found shot in the woods near Rosson on two. Rosson on two, December 1989. If you knew something about the related murders, that's enough to have been killed by the Clintons. 27, Jeff Rhodes had information on the Ives and Henry McCaskey death. Tortured, mutilated, shot, body burned in a dumpster. Wow. Why would you torture? Yeah. Number 28, James Milan had information on the Ives and Henry death. He was decapitated. The coroner ruled the death natural causes. So his head was cut off, and the coroner ruled the death due to natural causes. Huh. <laughs> oh, my God. 29, Jordan Kettleton had information on Ives and Henry's death, found shot to death in the front seat of his pickup truck. Huh. Number 30, Dr. Stanley Heard, chair. National Chiropractic Healthcare Advisory Committee to the Clintons. He personally treated Clinton's mother, stepfather, and brother, traveled with the Clintons. His personal small plane developed problems, so he rented another. Fire broke out in the flight, and he crashed and died. Oh. 
Steve Dixon, attorney for the same guy heard, died in the same plane crash. Hmm. John Hiller, video journalist investigator, helped to produce the documentary Circle of Power and the Clinton Chronicles, mysteriously died in a dentist chair for no apparent reason. Oh, Jesus. No record of death reported. Yeah, that's not creepy or nothing. Former Clinton bodyguards that are dead. Major Major General William Robertson, Colonel William Daschenberger, Colonel Robert Kelly, Specialist Gary Rhodes, Steve Willis, Robert Williams, Conway LeBou, Todd McKeon, Sergeant Brian Haney, Sergeant Tom, Tim Table, Major William Barkley, Captain Scott Reynolds, all former Clinton bodyguards who are now dead. Really? Yeah, that, is, that is really creepy. It just goes on and on and on and on. No, We're only 46. We're only in 46. It goes up to 90. I got to say something for next week. That's right. <laughs> Another wow. great show, buddy. Another great you show. You know what? You, it really was a great show, man. And uh, as always, I have to say thank you. I uh, I appreciate everything you bring to the show, my man. Oh, man, listen, I appreciate everything you do. You work really hard behind the scenes. You put this thing together. And kind of put me in the driver's seat, and I appreciate what you do every day to make the show better, man. Well, you know what, buddy? I appreciate you. And uh, next week, we're going to come back to you, and we're going to do this whole thing all over again. Sounds good, man. Let's do it. Okay, buddy. We'll talk next week. Later, buddy. All right, man. Hey guys, I gotta tell you about this new product that Cubal and I just started using. It's called RedlineGoods.com. Q, I was on, I ordered a bunch of products from this site, man, and you weren't lying. Man, I'm telling you, you know that tuner car I got, that old Eclipse that I've been working on? I got the, it's called the flat side steering wheel. It's a steering wheel and it's all hand stitched. And the bottom side that it run is flat and for, you know, tuner cars. And I got the matching boot for the shifter that is handmade and hand-stitched Italian leather. Let me tell you something, dude. This thing looks sweet. The rest of the car, not so good. But the steering wheel, the boot cover, fantastic. Well, I'm going to tell you, I got 1993 LeBaron, and my kids are so embarrassed when I drive this thing around. I went on this site you told me about. I used the promo code... Q-Ball, save 15%, and my kids love it. I got the coolest looking shifter. I've got new pads on the brake and the gas. I mean, I have done this thing up. The outside, 
still needs some work, man. This place is loaded with colors, and it's shipped worldwide. Like, you were not kidding. I mean, I am shocked. And you know what, Nick? Everything's hand-stitched and handmade in its own shop by him and his family. So, you know, it's, it's handcrafted Italian leather. It's amazing stuff. It's redlinegoods.com. Uh, the owner's name is Mike. He's a friend of ours. And if you just happen to mention promo code QBALL, you're going to save 15% on your entire order. So make sure you go there, folks, redlinegoods.com, all one word, redlinegoods.com, and check out their selection of really nice handmade Italian leather, accoutrements for your vehicle, and a lot of other cool products they have for cars. 